Is it worth it to keep going? When it comes to the Christian life, this question is a crucial one. You see, following Jesus comes with not only great blessing, but also quite a high cost. Life is hard, and to follow Jesus, I have to give up a lot of time and a lot of stuff. Is it worth it to keep going? Our text this morning is the second half of Hebrews chapter 10. If you have one of our church Bibles, it starts on page 946. And according to the author of these words we're looking at, you better believe it's worth it to keep going. That's the main idea this morning. You better believe it's worth it to keep going. And in order to keep going, there are three things in particular that you'd better believe. Because without them, you just might end up throwing everything away. Those three things you can see on your outline are confident entrance, certain vengeance, and constant reliance. Let me pray for us again and for our time in God's word as we dive into it. Our Father in heaven, your word is true and sure and reliable. It is more precious than gold. And you have told us that it pierces sharper than a sword. And so we ask, Lord, that you would please sharpen us and pierce us and strengthen us in faith that we would endure in believing and holding fast to the Lord Jesus, our great King and Priest. Please help us and show us wonderful things here in your word this morning. We ask by the power of your Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you better believe it's worth it to keep going. And the first reason is your confident entrance, which we see in verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, friends, he says here to draw near in verse 22 and hold fast in verse 23. Those, the combination of those two things are the chief instruction of this paragraph. Let us draw near, let us hold fast. So you ought to draw near 
to the holy places of heaven. The place where Jesus now lives and reigns, verse 19, as, and he ministers as a high priest forever. You and I, even now, even today, can draw near to that place with him. Why can we do that? Well, he gives two reasons. Verse 20, he says that Jesus has opened a new and living way to get there. And verse 21, he says, we have Jesus as a great priest. In other words, these two things. He says, Jesus went ahead to blaze a trail before us and... He's now waiting with open arms to welcome us. Because of both of those things, verse 19, he concludes, we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, I remember the first time I went camping with my sons. I had never gone camping before, mostly because of my sleep disorder. But as a result of that disorder, I had grown pretty solidified over time in my utter inability to do anything outdoors, such as camping. But the first time my sleep was healthy enough to allow me to try it, I really needed some friends to show me the way and to welcome me. There's one friend who blazed the trail, making all the arrangements and setting up all the equipment. And other friends got there ahead of me, welcoming me at my arrival and showing me what I needed to do so that I didn't have to figure it all out on my own. And I'm sure that you can imagine all of that gave me great confidence to come along on the trip. Well, that's what Jesus does in order to lead us to be with his Father in heaven. He blazed the trail ahead of us, and he now serves us and waits for us there with open arms and ready hands. All of this enables us to draw near, verse 22, to him in heaven. But, you might say, I'm not in heaven with Jesus. So what does this mean for me right now? And that's a great question because until the day comes when we are actually present with Jesus in heaven, what that means for us now is that we follow the the second part, the, the second chief instruction in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, all through this book, the author has been urging us to hold fast to Jesus by holding fast to our confession of him. This means we publicly acknowledge him as our king, our priest, and our inheritance. We confess this before the church, not only when we are baptized, But every time we gather to sing, to pray, to teach one another. Because in Jesus, heaven and earth are coming together. 
And so we confess these things before the world at any cost. As we do, we are drawing near to him in the holy places. Holding fast to our confession of Jesus as king, priest, inheritance, and as superior to all creation under heaven, that's how we draw near to Jesus in heaven for now until we reach that day when he returns and we get to be with him forever physically. But even that drawing near, that holding fast, that confident entrance into heaven with Jesus, that's really difficult to do. And it's even more difficult to persevere in it once you've tried it. For example, young people, let's say you're in a class at school or you're playing on a sports team and and you give credit to the Lord Jesus for your success. Or maybe you testify to how good it is that God created us, male and female. Well, you might be laughed at to the point of embarrassment at such things. And once that happens, it's not so easy to keep doing it, is it? The memory of that public ridicule might make you think twice about holding fast to your confession and confessing Jesus as King and Lord of all. And children and youth, you should know that it's just as hard for the adults to do as it is for you. We adults just try to make it seem more grown up to keep your mouth shut about Jesus in public places. This is hard. This is really hard. Is it worth it to keep going, especially when we are punished for it? How do we do this? Well, that difficulty to endure and to continue entering with Jesus confidently, that's why he says in verse 24 that we need each other. You see, it's not enough to consider how I ought to hold fast the confession. It's crucial that you and I both consider, take time to think about and premeditate how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Verse 25 says that this means we must not neglect our meeting together because the closer we get to the day of Jesus' return, the more important it becomes to continue meeting together so that we might stir one another up to love and good deeds. Friends, how does this apply? Well, let the truth of place and priest fuel your confidence. The priest you have in the place he is because he Your priest, Jesus, is now in heaven. You get to be with him. And you are with him now in spirit when you confess him as your king, your priest, your inheritance. And you will be with him then in the body when he returns and fully reunites heaven and earth once and for all. Your priest 
is in that place so you can approach with confidence. But that's not all. There's another crucial application. Do not isolate yourself. If you think you can get through the challenges you're facing on your own, you are terribly deceived. Drawing near to Christ through our confession of Him and drawing near to each other is how we nurture our confidence and our endurance. Some of you need a reminder of what is true, lest you throw away your confidence. Maybe some of you need to be more honest and vulnerable about what you're going through so that you can be better stirred up. Maybe some of you need to be more receptive to the help that's already been made available to you. Whatever it is for you, draw near and hold fast. This is not just about you. This is about our entire church. You might hold the key to someone else's confidence. You might have the experience or the scriptural insight to stimulate another brother or sister to believe that it's worth it to keep going. So you better believe it's worth it to keep going as a Christian. That's because Jesus has given you confident entrance into heaven. And that's not yours to keep for yourself, but something to help you encourage others with. There's a second reason why it's worth it to keep going as a Christian. That's because of certain vengeance. Look at verses 26 through 31. For if... We go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here is one place in the book of Hebrews where it is So tempting to disregard what this text says. What I want to do desperately this morning is to tell you that Jesus paid it all and nothing can ever change that so you are secure now and forever. And that is true from a certain perspective 
but only if you hold fast to your confession. Verse 26 says that there is no sacrifice for deliberate sin. Please let that sink in. You cannot offer or find any sacrifice for deliberate sin. Now that is right from the Old Testament. One of the most common misconceptions I hear from people about the Old Testament sacrificial system is that people could commit any old sins they wanted and then just go and offer a sacrifice to fix it and keep themselves good with God, that God made a way for that to happen. But friends, in the prophets, they are abundantly clear that God hates sacrifices offered under such presumption. In the book of Leviticus, where the sacrificial law is laid out in great detail, there is no sacrifice prescribed for those who go on sinning deliberately. Those who sin in total disregard for God, His commands, or His fatherly affection. Now with that said, please don't misunderstand me. Because when he talks about sinning deliberately, he is talking about something specific. He's not talking about my constant struggle with overeating or with anyone's honest struggle with anger or lust or greed. Those are all problems that must be addressed in the Christian life, but those are not what he has in mind here. I say that because in verse 28, he talks about the law of Moses prescribing execution for those who set aside the law. He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 17, where it says this, If there is found among you a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, a person who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. Friends, the sort of deliberate sin that was punishable by death was the sin of transgressing the covenant. In other words, the sin of abandoning Yahweh, the God of Israel, as their God. Such folks might still have participated in temple worship as a cultural experience, but they did not hold fast to the true God as their God. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 10. 
He's talking about the same thing he talked about back in chapter 6. He's talking about those who give up on Jesus. Those who decide it's not worth it to keep going with him. Those who believe they can find something better than Jesus in this world and in the acceptance of those who are in this world. He's talking about what we call apostasy. The act of denying the Christian faith. Renouncing Jesus as your king and your priest and relying on yourself to figure out what is true and what is right. So brothers and sisters, if you fear whether this might be about you and whether there might not be a sacrifice remaining for your sins, just keep in mind the contrast between the first and second paragraph of this section. In verses 19 to 25, he talks about those who hold confidently to their confession of Jesus and maintain loyalty to him. They are not perfect. They are not sinless. They have not yet completed their growth curves in Christ, but they won't let go of him. And in verses 26 through 31, he describes those who deny Christ. They are finished with him. They are done with following him. They have set him aside in favor of another God or an alternate lifestyle. Holding on to him is no longer what they wish to do. And what can such a person expect? I don't care if they prayed a prayer when they were six years old. I don't care how many times they went to church. I don't care if they were ordained clergy. You let go of Jesus, what can you expect? The good news is that the death penalty for apostasy is no longer in force among the people of God. But the bad news is that there's something way worse than that. Verse 27, there's a fearful expectation of judgment, of fury, of fire awaits. Verse 29, something worse than death awaits because God does not take it lightly when people trample on his son and outrage his spirit. Verse 30, there is a future of certain vengeance. In verse 31, you know what? Apostates are in God's hands, which in this case ought not be a comforting reality. Well, how does this apply? Friends, please take this warning seriously. No matter what you have ever experienced or done, there is only one sin that will warrant the certain vengeance of God. And that sin is the sin of unbelief. Or perhaps to put it more frankly, the sin of disloyalty to the true God. 
You know, I am often tempted to fear that my behavioral sin is deliberate and thereby deserving of judgment. But it should be tremendously assuring to recognize that sinning deliberately in this context refers to the sin of unbelief. And this motivates me more than ever to hold fast to Christ through whatever trials I face. But holding fast to Christ means confessing sin and working to turn away from it. One of the most common reasons why people turn away from Jesus is because their sin becomes more pleasing to them than Jesus is. So they need to keep their sin a secret in order to keep pretending to be a Christian. Therefore, maybe some of you may need to stop being so afraid of being found out. Being found out now might be the best thing that ever happens to you. You do not want to fall into the just and outraged hands of the living God. Hold fast to Jesus. And he welcomes you with confidence into heaven. Whatever you have done can be forgiven. No sin can ever disqualify you from being with Jesus forever. Except for the sin of not trusting Jesus to forgive your sins. Let go of Jesus. And there is nothing but certain vengeance. Friends, there will not be any unbelievers in heaven. There will not be anyone on the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus except for those who want to worship God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You better believe it's worth it to keep going. So how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, it takes us to the third reason here why it's worth it to keep going. It's because of constant reliance. Let's look at the end of the chapter, starting at 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not... Of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Friends, you and I need to remember that the way of following Jesus is one filled with, verse 32, a hard struggle with sufferings. 
Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. He called it a hard way and a narrow gate that few people would find. However, that hard struggle is not incompatible with great joy. Verse 34, these people had their stuff taken from them because they were Christians and they accepted it with joy. How is that possible? How does a person endure hard suffering with unexpected joy? Well, only if, as the end of verse 34 puts it, they know that they have a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, you're giving up something that you know you can't keep anyway in order to gain something that you can't lose. You've got a deep understanding that a better future awaits you than whatever you're facing right now. And that understanding of the better future gives you, verse 35, confidence in a great reward. You see, it's not worth it to throw away such confidence. Brothers and sisters, you have need, verse 36, of endurance. And what sort of endurance? Well, 38 and 39, it's the sort of endurance that doesn't shrink back in the hard times, but perseveres in faith. You see, the need of the moment is constant reliance on the Lord Jesus. That's what faith means. This is just another way to say what he's been saying all along. Hold fast to your confession. We have such a great high priest. Jesus is your better and abiding possession. Let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How does this apply? Remember, the only sin that warrants the Holy Spirit's outrage and the Father's vengeance is the sin of unbelief, the sin of not persevering in faith. This chapter is not talking about broad struggles with sinful behaviors, but with the sin of disloyalty to Christ, also called unbelief. So the solution to that sin... is that you don't ever throw away your confidence that Jesus is coming. He is that better thing that is coming for you. Today, tomorrow, and the next day, you persevere in loyalty to him, whatever the cost, whatever the circumstances. You persevere in faith. You endure the hard times knowing that Jesus remains always your king, your priest, your inheritance. Now, what might it look like to throw away your confidence? What are the beliefs of the person who gives that up? Well, this is when we start telling ourselves, this will never change. The people whose opinions matter most will hate me. I'll lose what I've worked so hard to gain and it will be the end of me. Or we start telling ourselves, 
it's just not worth it. Jesus is not worth it. And friends, the better you get at recognizing such defeater beliefs in yourself, the better you will get at recognizing them in others as well. And then you and I can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And we can remind one another that it's worth it. Dear sister, you better believe it's worth it to keep going as a Christian. Dear brother, rely on him. A better future awaits. It's not always going to be like this. Friends, you better believe it's worth it to keep going in the Christian faith. In love for Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have confident entrance. Without him, there's nothing but certain vengeance. Therefore, here and now, day after day after day, we can exercise constant reliance. We will never grow out of our need for trusting in Jesus and being loyal to him. That's not just what you do on the first day when you become a Christian. It's what you do every day up until the last day when it gets much easier. May the Lord guard us and guide us that we might never shrink back from him and be destroyed, but that we would persevere in faith and preserve our souls. You better believe it's worth it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please strengthen us. We are weak and we are tired and we are sad and we are disappointed and angry and Lord the world is not yet the way it ought to be help us to believe it's worth it to keep going to press on may we hold fast to Jesus and remain loyal to him and as we do Lord you get all the glory for having held fast to us our hope is in you We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.